Vintage tea, brand new phone, high heels on, cobblestones. G'day, g'day, Nick. What's Happy going New on? Year, Sam! Happy New Year. We really should not be saying Happy New Year in part two of our 2020 podcast, but look at us. We did it. We managed to stretch it out over two years. Yes, we did. Like all great podcasts do, as Dua Lipa said, and as I mentioned many times in the last episode, we love to milk it, babes. And we're doing the exact (laughs) same sentiment with the podcast. We're milking one year over two. And to be honest, nothing's really happened yet in this year anyway, so it's the starting gun hasn't been fired, so I think we can sneak in with this little rap. True. I think, you know, musically nothing's happened. I mean, a bunch of protesters stormed the Capitol building about an hour yeah, ago, that's so something happening. has <laughs> happened, but musically, it's been a fairly slow start, with the exception of what I reckon is going to be one of the year's great singles, Justin Bieber's Anyone which came out on New Year's Day and is immaculate. Do you? Have you heard it yet? I've heard it. What do you reckon? I don't have um, ecstatic opinions about it, but I don't have bad opinions about it. That's a good step not, forward for um, you on the Justin I'm not in the yummy. I'm not in the yummy like stage with it. <laughs> but you're it's also, not bad. You're also it definitely not in just the sounds like it was... Stage. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not as excited as that. <laughs> If Nikki jumped on it, I might have some better opinions. 100%. It, it sounds like it's just been written, like, for... It sounds like a John Bellion song, really, more than a Beebs song, but that's fine. He's doing his thing. He's trying to get back on the charts. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That was the case with Holly as well. It's all just kind of belly on light, I suppose. Yeah. They're just good pop songs. I feel like he's just getting back to... um, He's trying to, like, reposition himself a little bit after R and Bieber. Look, we're stepping ahead too far. We're in 2021 territory, just like we said we can't do in this podcast. Where we left it last time, we were bang on pretty much halfway through 2020 uh, before we had any foresight to the fact that Taylor Swift was going to have not just one release, but two releases in 2020. Did you have any kind of indication halfway through the year that there was going to be a Taylor Swift resurgence in the latter half of the year? Well, people crap on and they're like, she left this hint on her Instagram and then she put oh. this number here. And I'm just like, not about that. I just <laughs> scroll past her more post. Exhausting. So yes, I was very shocked when she announced that she'd been holed up in the woods in upstate New York, writing an album with um, Aaron Dessner from The National and it featured Bonnever. It kind of came as a real, not a slap in the face because it was a very... um light folky album but it definitely came as a surprise to me and I think because I mean there's so many reasons why it was a surprise one is like Taylor Swift has always been such a calculated pop artist who's really always moved in two-year cycles release the album tour the album flog it for like eight or nine singles and then move on but this one comes so soon after Lover and not only does it come so soon after Lover it's a complete musical detour from what Lover gave Lover was very glossy um very optimistic very pop heavy i would say this one is almost the complete antithesis to that what do you reckon i partially agree with you i think there were some elements to lover um including the title track that definitely sort of hinted at her going back yeah to i'll agree with you there that rootsy space and going back to that earthy space where it's just her the guitar and a shit ton of reverb Um, which, to be honest, I think is the best showcase of her songwriting ability. Um, She's fantastic on those glossy, produced, you know, more mechanical pop songs, but I think she's just amazing just stripped back with the guitar and just her voice and her words. Um, I I also think she is the most calculated pop star on the planet, and I think there is an element of seizing the moment that she manages to do very well every time. And she manages to read the room pretty well every time. And I would say that as much as this probably was a natural process of her in terms of the writing, I think there probably was an indication very early on in the pandemic where she probably went, I'm going to have to do an album this year, aren't I? I'm going to have to do something here. Uh, Maybe I'll just fuck off and write it somewhere weird (laughs) and just see what happens. So I reckon there was some calculation behind the idea of doing an album in the first place. But I I actually believe the authenticity of where this record ended up for sure. 
what came out of it was surely surprising to her in some way because she'd never collaborated with um, Destner before, never even spoken to, from what I understand, spoken to Boniver before. Um, obviously, Jack Antonoff and her are a, a very strong musical partnership and he appears on every record, but he appears not very heavily on folklore. He's definitely outweighed by Destner there. Absolutely. So I think even she could have, couldn't have predicted how Indian, how folky this album went. And it is crazy when you think about the lead single being Cardigan, which is, if that was on any other Taylor Swift album, it would kind of be relegated to the back half and it would never, ever get the single treatment when you think that she's popping out things like me and Blank Space and Shake It Off and We Are Never Getting Back Together. Like, it just doesn't sit with the rest of her lead singles. It also breaks a trend for her where the lead single is usually the worst song on the Taylor Swift album, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she managed to buck that with folklore, she but definitely did. surprising. And also, I think she really got um, critics' favor back. I think Lover, people were kind of lukewarm on. It didn't do commercially amazing in terms of the singles, and also critically, it was kind of like it wasn't bad, but nobody was going crazy about it. And this one really put her back in the driving seat. Somehow, by not making a pop record, she's reinstated herself as the pop star of the moment absolutely agree i think when we talk about this calculation that taylor brings to records a lot of the time i have to say i think this there was probably some calculation to the type of album this ended up being in terms of the wider Mm -hmm. context of who taylor swift is and i think they probably were thinking and, and when i say they taylor is the mastermind of all of this there's no you yep. know, boardrooms of, of dudes. Like, she is the, she's the fucking genius behind all this stuff. Um, yeah. I just realised we're already going to have to put the explicit button on this one after two minutes because I can't <laughs> stop just swearing for no reason. Well, we better make it worth it then. Fuck. Absolutely. <laughs> fucking hell. Um, what, what I think is really impressive is they probably looked at Lover, which I think where Lover fell down was those sort of really menial pop songs like me um, yeah. that felt very lame and they probably went how can we prove once again which they have done in the past where taylor's written really straight down the line pop songs she's been panned for that the pop songs have gone on to do really good things but she's also lost some of that really sort of indie credibility for her brilliant songwriting then she's gone oh shit i've got to show people that i can actually write great songs again done that and then made you know, more pastiche kind of pop songs again. And I reckon this was probably a little bit more of a calculated move to go back to, I can write the best pop music on the planet and it doesn't matter if it's just me and a guitar or if it's a sprawling six-minute epic or if it's a three-minute shake it off. Like, she can do it in all those different forms. And I think that was a really impressive way to bring the critics back on side. And and there's this weird sort of, I think, cross-section of pop fans that sit in the space of the critics and sit you know totally kind of like us yeah. probably like we sit in the space yeah of, you know we are we are critics to an extent but we're also pop fans and i think when the community is gathering around an artist again and and noticing the work that they're doing and noticing the improvement we kind of get behind yeah. them again and get excited about it so i think there's an element of that as well she's she's completely self-aware taylor always has been but also not immune to making mistakes. And like when she released me with that horrid spelling is fun line and then just quietly removed it from the stream a few weeks later, (laughs) you know that that was a lesson to her. And she was like, okay, too far, pull it back now. It's gobsmacking to me that the same artist who released me just over a year ago also released songs like August and This Is Me Trying on, on Folklore, which are just so earnest and so vivid. Um, she totally did a 360 and there is no way that she was, she wasn't turning in this record and in the back of her mind being like, I'm going to get Grammy album of the year again. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. There's always that element of calculation, but you know, if if we look at the songs on face value and not think about the pop star behind them, it's just an album of great songwriting, which was repeated again, you know, in an arguably better way six months later, which we'll revisit, obviously, uh, towards the end of this episode. Talk about probably in about three and a half hours' time when we get to (laughs) December. All right, moving on um, to August, not the Taylor Swift song. I was going to say, it was a good little segue. (laughs) 
<laughs> and one of Taylor's former enemies, now friend, Katy Perry, who was pregnant with a child and pregnant with her fifth album, Smile. Um, Katie comes up a lot on this podcast, but I feel like we haven't talked about this record a lot. Um, where, where do you sit on Smile? It's a really interesting one for me, and it's a really interesting one. Uh, looking back on it now, I remember around sort of June, July, there really was no more present pop star than Katy Perry. She was everywhere. She did every bit yeah. of press she humanly could from her... Um, Incredible. She, she'd set up this little space in her house and it was just perfect for every little Zoom call. And she did yeah. every bit of press. Um, she was very, very present. The music was getting a lot of love and people were coming forward for the music and, and really, you know, thinking, yeah, we're back to early Katie days. But now I think about it in the context of, you know, the end of 2020, it was an absolute blip on the radar. It, it just left faded no impact. out of sight, didn't it? Didn't it, Jaws? And I remember listening to the album and on my on my uh, former podcast, um, the Project U Pop Corner, we did a whole album special on it, which I've completely forgotten about. And <laughs> like, like it was a moment at the time, well, and then within weeks it was gone. Because she was putting in the work to put it at the front of everyone's radar. Yeah. But then the album itself didn't have the staying power to last. And you can kind of put this up against something like Chromatica because Gaga did a similar thing to Katie where she was everywhere and then suddenly she was nowhere at all. But Chromatica, I would say, has lasted a lot longer than Smile. I think Smile has some good pop songs on it. Nothing amazing, though, apart from Never Really Over, which is is obviously was old news by the time the album dropped. I think she was smart. I thought at the time she was smart doing something like Daisy's because I was like, she's just pulling it back to basics. She's not trying any tricky business. And I think this is actually going to win some serious radio play, particularly over here in the States. But it didn't. And I think the album just kind of lacks that Katy Perry personality. There's no like cheek or um, pizzazz to it all uh, like as annoyed as people get by that sometimes and it could be the reason why she had her downfall it is the reason that people go to her and this one I don't know it just was lacking something it was a bit vanilla in the end I totally get you only two singles came from it which is really interesting to think about it was Daisies and Smile and that's it they didn't try anything else as an official single um, which is it had some better song. like Smile is absolutely shit it's no, terrible no I'm not gonna take that one I'm not going to take that terrible. from you. It literally sounds like a, yeah, like a, something that was left off a of Britney Spears album 10 years ago. Yeah, that's why like, we love it. It's so old-fashioned. It's calm and broken-hearted <laughs> in 2020. It's fucking perfect. But something like, something like Cry About It Later, like that so, so mm. much of a better, obvious single than Smile. Just... Just once again, she derailed the whole project with a few bad decisions. And dare I say, Smile has done worse than Witness for her. Yep. Yep. It debuted at number five. It only sold 50,000 copies first week. It did... I don't even think it did top five in the rest of world. But to to start at number five in America, also considering she gave birth two days before the album came out. To Daisy yeah. Dove Bloom, um, who must be referred to in all three words, not just Daisy, her child, Daisy Dove Bloom. It's very important. Yeah, um, she definitely. literally named the child the same as one of the singles on the record that was being pushed at the time. Like queen of promotion, queen of marketing ideas. Yet yeah. nothing seemed to be able to push the radar. Nothing traditional seemed to be able to move the needle for her on this album. It relied on... Digestible pop songs that didn't work. She relied on heavy, heavy promotion instead of what a lot of artists are doing these days with really selected placement in publications. She was on everything. She was doing every interview. She was in every Zoom call. She was jumping in a million fan Zoom calls every day for that real on the ground, you know, signing style, you know, appearances. And none of it worked. And it's really interesting to think what they could have done differently. My criticism is they really needed to give another single. <clears throat> excuse me. They really needed to give another single a go, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so as well. But I think like there's boardrooms that are talking that talk about what went wrong with Katy Perry. Like it's a yeah. it's a study in pop music, and I think it's it's not so much what she's doing; it's more what pop's doing, and it's just moved past. Katy Perry it's moved past the pop stars like her and even if you think of Megan Trainer as well like they're just for one reason or another they just don't work anymore and perhaps they're not gritty enough or people don't think they're authentic enough or pop's just entered into a new space where people want something more inventive and more experimental and they just can't give that which actually in saying that the next album we go on to kind of disproves that entire theory <laughs> Absolutely. So, <laughs> it's, and get ready. I am. I have some thoughts on this one. Don't you worry. I know. I knew you would have some thoughts on this one. <laughs> in September, in a move that kind of came out of the blue for me, I knew she'd been working on it for a while, but I didn't think it would drop at this point. They'd be daring enough to do it um, without a single really taking off. But Ava Max dropped Heaven or Hell, her debut album. Kings and Queens was the single that came out before it, which had done well in Australia and done lukewarm in the UK. Um, Album dropped and then Kings and Queens kind of just exploded everywhere. Like a rocket. Which was amazing. I didn't see it coming. I'm sure you did see it coming though. (laughs) To be honest, as much as I think she's amazing and as much as she's probably one of my favourite new pop stars of the last couple of years and, Mm -hmm. you know, she's been working at this for a very long time but, you know, Notoriety only began with Sweet But Psycho and I thought that might be a one-hit wonder but I thought Kings and Queens maybe would have suffered the Katy Perry smile effect. I mean, a really sort of simple pop song with a you know fake electric guitar solo on it like it doesn't make any yeah. sense this the idea was very simple it was men and women need to be equal like shit that's been talked about in music for 40 years nothing yeah. about it was technically remarkable but maybe it just came out at the right time to be that song to be that simplistic yeah. electro rock pop song that just cut through a little bit um the album itself is fan-fucking-tastic from top to bottom. It's a concept album of Heaven, Hell, and then Torn, which is the ABBA-style single that sits in the middle, is what she refers to as Purgatory, which is halfway in between Heaven and Hell. Um, yeah. I like that concept. It's not too hard to understand. It's not too you know deep, but I love a concept album. Mm-hmm. The, and the songs individually, the 11 tracks on the album, which is a good amount of tracks for an album, um, are all really great pop songs. perfect number. Absolutely. And they're all really great pop songs. And we knew half of them already. And the rest that came out were surprising ones. Uh, Naked is, is a top-tier pop song, if you haven't heard it yet. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, she is a really interesting pop star. She's very back-to-basics. She's very pop girl. Um, she's yeah. very, you know, there's a veil of sort of, uh, there's a va- there's a veil in front of her, but also a lopsided like veil. A lopsided <laughs> veil. The sullet is in style again, um, but you also feel like you get something authentic, and you know she's a very easy pop star to like, um, but also a very easy pop star to not like in the same breath. Mm. Um, yeah, I thought this was a really one of the most surprisingly brilliant albums of the year, and I think it got. It got a fair bit of love, to be honest. Like, I think this is more revered critically than Smile was, at least, you know, in yeah, the circles that I orbit. Yeah, more than expected. Yeah. And it, yeah. it turned a lot... Of, what I found was people were writing her off early on, but with every good song she put out, and she staggered them pretty well across the two years from Sweet But Psycho to Heaven and Hell, the album coming out. With every song, I watched people's... The cogs in people's brains turn from She's Boring, She's Just This One Song Girl that's had this song written for her that's good to like, oh, oh shit, she keeps putting out really good songs. Maybe I like Ava Max to when the album mm. came out, I think I'm an Ava Max fan. And I love watching that conversion of, of, of someone from a passive listener to a fan of an artist. It's a really exciting journey to watch. Yeah, I think she signals a kind of return to pure pop, which we saw a lot this year. Um, and actually I was having this conversation with, uh, an Australian producer called Stace Cadet for anybody who is overseas and haven't heard of this song yet. I'm sure you will because it's exploding everywhere. Um, it's called Energy and it's a very um, upbeat, 
extremely like simple melody, just like kind of a dopamine hit. And it's done very well in Australia this year. And he was saying that he thinks that it it's owed to the times that people just needed something that was kind of escapist and very easy to devour. And Absolutely. I think you can say the same about like the Ava Maxes. And um, I mean, it, it's odd that Ava Max did so well and that Katy Perry didn't because I think they come from the same kind of cloth of pure pop. Um, but I think that's why Ava Max works. She's very easy to devour. She's easy to listen to. She's easy to hate. Like you said, she's easy to love. You're not going to sit on the fence about her because she's very mm. um, divisive. And I suppose that's a good thing. I don't have the same <laughs> um, positive reaction to the album. It's really it was better than I expected. But um, I yeah, really I just album. can't, I can't get into her. It's, it all feels a bit fabricated to me but <laughs> well that's the thing i like for every now and then i love a fabricated pop star and i yeah. love like shit like bts dynamite was one of my favorite songs of last year because it's just so fucking I, it's all in this world yeah it's all exactly and but it, it it doesn't occupy all of my favorite songs but i always have room in my like day-to-day listening for one or two of those really fabricated, really four-to-the-floor, straight-up kind of songs. Like Energy. Energy's a great example of those kind of songs. It reminded me of... When you were talking about Energy, it reminds me of... um, uh, For for American listeners that need a a context hit, um, Fede Legrand, Put Your Hands Up for Detroit. Mm, Absolutely. That's a good reference. That's the exact kind of energy. And every now and then, even in 2006, we needed a song like that to go along like the deeper R&B stuff and also that kind of Mm -hmm. good charlatan emo rock that was sort of rolling around at the time. Something simple and fun like that. Yeah. You you get a couple of those couple records a year. Absolutely. But I I think my issue with her is not that she's she is completely over the top and like mm. everything oh, she's <laughs> nothing is subtle about what she does yeah but the things i don't like from her are the subtle ones like so am i i don't like at all not yep. really a fan of naked but like a fan of um sweet but psycho and kings and queens and like oh my god what's happening when she's really really over the top and she just completely buys into that yeah like there's this point in oh my god what's happening where she says this ridiculous spoken line and then she screams and yeah the first time i heard it i didn't know whether to burst out in laughter or like cringe and now i'm just like now i find it endearing i'm like if you're gonna go for that just go for it and do it and i think she does do that really well and i will give there's nothing wrong with what she's doing. And I think she knows that people are either going to love it or hate it. And that's a good thing. It's better than being vanilla. Great, great words. We can move on, I think. I love that. <laughs> should we play October? a game? Because I put... Oh, we should. I... Shit. Yeah. Did I... did I bring a second game? No, I don't think you needed to. Because I never did my game last time. Okay, cool. Yeah. So what I'm going to do for this one, and it is a little bit dated now because <laughs> I did design it in the middle of December, um, but I'm going to ask you whether the, I'm going to list songs and I'm going to ask you whether or not they were in my Spotify wrapped. So my top 100 songs for the year, were they in the playlist Got or you. were they not? Got you. Okay. I had some surprises in there. So to be honest, I'm expecting some surprises from you as well. Yeah, I think I think there will be some. There were some that surprised me, to be honest. The first one is Dua Lipa's Future Nostalgia. So not the album, but the title track from the album. Ooh, that's a good point. That was in mine for context. Yeah. Um, loved it. Silly little Pet Shop Boys moment. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say it was not. In your Spotify wrapped. I reckon you rinsed the rest of the album so hard that it didn't make it to your top 100. So I'm going to go no. You're correct. It did make it. Yes. The re- the Club Future Nostalgia remix made it, but not the... Wow. Not the, and I, I'm not sure why, because I, don't, I, I really like it. 
but I think because it dropped in December last year, maybe I rinsed it a bit in December, and then by the time the album came out, I just played from track two onwards because yep. I never get sick of Don't Start Now um, or Physical. So, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't in it. You're correct. One point. Impressed. Okay, the next one is Ariana Grande's 2018 <clears throat> single, No Tears Left to Cry. Oh, God. <laughs> the single that I famously... Referred to as being okay on first Just listen. okay. Just in okay. Quotation marks. Just okay. On a bus back from BB Rex's house. Um, I, <laughs> I reckon, I reckon No Tears Left to Cry would have been in your top 100. Knowing you, a couple of tunes from those kind of years, a couple of, yeah, absolutely. Correct. Yes. It's so it's you. In. It's so you. <laughs> <laughs> and keep in mind, mine was like 90% songs from this year. So tough for an old song to sneak in, but it did sneak in. It was going to do the trick and it probably will again in 2021. Let's be real. Probably will. Yeah. Staying power. We stand sweetener <laughs> Ariana. Um, Flume's single, The Difference, feat Toro et moi. All right. He's a cur- this is a curveball one. And it is a curvy. A little curvy. I, hmm. Good song, that. I really liked that one. It hyped me up for a flume album no that never came. Me. So, I, I have negative thoughts about it now. I reckon this was, <laughs> I reckon if you're saying no comment, I reckon this one evaded your Spotify wrapped. Okay, so the reason I said no comment is because I didn't want to give it away because it was in my Spotify round. Oh, <laughs> damn you. Throw Great a little... song. Not, I don't usually rinse a flume song, but I did with that one. I liked that one a lot. Whereabouts did it sit in the list? Pretty high up, actually. Really? Yeah, pretty high up. Did it make it into right, the intern's one. top 30 singles of the year? It actually didn't. It didn't. Wow. I forgot about it. <laughs> it would have been. <laughs> there were so many songs. He's got I enough for- accolades. There's so many songs I forgot about doing my top thirty. Like, well, I so feel like in my songs. head there was like pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, and I only rated post-pandemic yeah. for some reason. Same, hundred percent. Very odd. Um, okay, the next one is Harry Styles' number one single, "Watermelon Sugar." Ooh. First rock song in 17 years to go number one on the Billboard charts. My favourite fun fact that I deduce to myself. Um, I'm going to go yes. This was definitely in your top 100 of the year. Without a doubt. I love it, but it wasn't. <clears throat> really? Yeah. Was Didn't there any Harry it. in there? Um, let me have a little squeeze for you and find out. I realise this game's completely indulgent. but No, I love listening. it. No, it's interesting to work it out because it helps for any future taste-based games. It does. Um, I'm just having a look. Not nothing. Wow. That's bizarre to me. Whoa. You must have paid Spotify enough. That's weird because <laughs> I played Golden quite a lot and it only came out in December last year. Golden... Wow. Harry was snubbed. I snubbed him <laughs> like the Grammys. <laughs> okay, the next one is um, an aforementioned artist named Catherine Hudson, aka Katy oh. Perry. Yes, yes, um, yes. And her single, Never Really Over. NRO. Hmm. NRO was a, was a 2019 song, I'm thinking. So... I think even... Oh, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So I'm going to go that this was in there. I reckon this was your Ariana Grande No Tears Left to Cry 2019 edition, making it into your 2020 wrapped for sure. So not only was it my Ariana Grande (laughs) edition, it came in about 40 places higher than No Tears Left to Cry. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) 
Was it just practicing multiple times getting every word of the chorus right in such quick It must have been, yeah. And it took me well into this year to get it. It's all the songs that you need practice on. For context of where it is in the playlist, it's surrounded by Blinding Lights, um, (laughs) by TK Meidzer, by Lady Gaga, by Haim and by Jesse Ware. (laughs) (laughs) The Katie Cat jumped out. (laughs) Absolutely. It was the only Katie song to make the list, but (sighs) if one's going to do it... (laughs) Unfortunately, yeah. it fell from last year's peak of number three. <laughs> <laughs> It'll still be in there next year. Probably around For the Somebody Ariana who level. has made a, a career off criticising Katy Perry, basically. <laughs> it's my guilty pleasure. I don't believe in them, but if there was one. <laughs> okay, the final one um, is a uh, Amigos song called Racks Too Skinny. Ooh, Racks Too Skinny from Migos. Top 100. Racks Too Skinny from Migos. Yeah, that feels like a you song. That feels like your random hip-hop moment. So, so random, if you ask me to recite what Racks Too Skinny sounds like, I would not be able to give you... The slightest part of it, but it did come in at number 98. What? Oh, very impressive. Hey, but how many yeah. spins are we talking about by number 98? Because I saw some songs in my bottom 20 and I was like, I don't remember ever playing this song. But I Sorry, what like was three. the question? What it's, what's it surrounded by? How, ma- how, many, how many spins of a song are we talking about when it's that low in the list? Like, I mean, are we talking I have like, no idea. Because like there's some songs I know for a fact that I play quite a lot of times that are surrounded by it. Like Hyperfine by G Flip is there. One um, of the worst songs of the year. It's absolutely not one of the best songs of the year. When I saw that on that intern's list, I was absolutely... (laughs) That is... Ashamed. Ashamed. (laughs) Rude! (laughs) Wow, I don't think I can continue. You were negative to some elements of Heaven and Hell by Ava Max, so I'm now raising hell on you. Okay, well, that's your one one negative moment. (laughs) I'm allowed it. <laughs> Next, you're going to turn around and start dissing my number one song or my yes. number 15 song. <laughs> I don't know what my number 15 song was. Anyway, um, moving on. We're three quarters through the year now and we get to the final three months of the year and October was absolutely jam-packed with releases that we need to talk about. It was jam-packed. I've only got one listed here. Um, it's also the month of the Scorpio, who are the worst star sign. Um, just just had to get that in. Okay. <laughs> Triple Scorpios are the worst of the worst as well. That is my mum and my brother, whom oh my I God. do love. Apologies we have a very family. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm assuming most of the artists who released in this month are not Scorpios, but they could be. Um. The first one I've got written... Actually, I have two written down. I thought you did. That's I why have... I did the little prelude of, of... It was a busy month. And you're like, nah, there's only one. I actually think these these two records came out on the same day. So we'll talk about the one that kind of got... Yeah, they did. ...was put into um, the second one, Shadows. And that's Sam Smith's Love Goes, which was originally meant to be titled... Um, what was it called? To Die die For. I was going to release at the beginning of the pandemic. Decided wasn't the right title. (laughs) Very smart work. And unfortunately, I feel like Love Goes didn't kind of get the attention it deserves. In my opinion, it's a pretty solid record. Yep. Entirely a pandemic-induced situation, I think, and also an Ariana-shadowed situation, which is always really difficult when you push your album back by six months, which Sam did. You know, they're always going to end up in the background of, of of whatever comes out that day if there's another big pop release that comes out. Um, yeah. That said, I think if you're a true fan, you're a true Sam fan, and Sam has a very big fan base, a very dedicated fan base. Um, but Sam also has a lot of 
I think the the criticism for Sam and the negativity that comes towards Sam's music is that very early on in their career, when they were working with Disclosure a lot and making fun mm-hmm. dance records, everyone went, this is an absolute fucking powerhouse. This is a superstar sort of dance singer yeah. or even just an R&B singer. Um, you know, yeah. Latch, Love Go, not Love Goes, that's this album. Um, Omen with Disclosure, one of the best pop sings in a fucking, like I still go back to that song. But yeah. Sam went down the route of, crooner stuff and did softy ballads won a shit ton of awards won over middle america as a gay and now non-binary person to win over america is a phenomenal fucking feat to win over you know texan mums have sam smith albums next to their thomas rett records (laughs) currently storming washington dc currently storming washington dc using streaming love goes and storming washington (laughs) dc Fucking slamming copies of I'm Not the Only One using the plastic to sort of chop through the Capitol building doors. Um, and I think that Trump lost is a not few of those. Trump is not way too good at by the sounds of <laughs> Can I tell you something that's happened in the last half an hour that I looked at a minute ago? Pence has yeah. unfollowed Trump on Twitter and changed his header image to an image of, the, um, of Kamala and Joe waving to crowds are you kidding me that's happened in the last 30 minutes wait this sounds like a like a pop squabble it's happened it's happened like like rihanna has unfollowed chris brown on instagram he's unfollowed the president and changed his profile picture to joe and kamala waving to crowds after they won the election are you no shit That's just happened. This is now a political reaction. That's podcast. just happened in real time. But it, it, there's a, there's an element of it. There's an element of it that's relevant. Um, to talk about what I think happened with Sam is yeah, I think they lost a lot of that early. <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Um, I think Sam lost a lot of that early fan base when they went down the route of like two or three albums of those ballads. I think people could have dealt with one, yeah. but when they did. You know the second, and then the th- and then the third. I remember. I think it was too good at goodbyes came out, and we were together, yeah. you and I. Yeah, um, we were on the Gold Coast, I think, or in Brisbane, and very hungover, which wasn't, you know, just the usual. Obviously. Um, and we'd been kind of hyped about this Sam Smith single, or at least I was. I was like, oh, cool, Sam's coming back. There's no way it's going to be a third album of ballads, and then it ended up being a third fucking album of ballads, except he, they'd taken off the suit and just were just wearing a, a shirt now instead, and they'd lost, lost a bit of weight and stuff. It is now a, um, like a singlet, so I think next album will be shirtless, <laughs> and it's going to be a like, banging rave album. <laughs> yeah, look, honestly, I think they've got the propensity, and I'm really excited with what Love Goes is going to reset for them. You know, they spent the year, and, the, and, you know, the couple of years before, trying to work out, you know, what music they actually loved and get back to what they actually love, which is diva stuff. You know, Sam yeah. channels Mariah and Kylie and Beyonce. That's and what they grew up listening to. And they always said it like in every interview, Sam always said that that was the music that they grew up learning to sing to. So it always confused me how it went into this ballad territory that just got kind of vanilla. And Absolutely. I think love goes really like really smartly pairs that dance world together with that ballad world. Like the back half of the album is very ballad heavy, but the production I think is interesting. Some of the songs I think are like have passed me by and I wouldn't be able to tell you what they sounded like, but the top half of the album with the dance songs and diamonds and dance. And um, there's another one that's really good. Another, another one is very good as well. <laughs> And then you've got some great ballads at the end, like Love Goes and Kids Again. So I think it's a smart album. And I think, I feel like it's going to be a slow burner. I feel like Diamonds is going to do quite well here. Yeah, it's been easily one of the biggest songs on radio in Australia over the summer. It's been inescapable and it still sounds good. It still slaps. Um, yeah. And, and I think you're right. Even, even just that song straddles that territory of ballad and banger quite well. 
Um, you know, it's yeah. got that yearning in it. They get to do those diva runs, and but still, there's that four to the floor pulsating dance beat under it as well, and it just works really. It's it's really tastefully done. What I think this may set Sam up for, which I'm really excited about, is I think Sam could have a very similar career as George Michael. Um, and yeah, obviously I think so George too. Is Sam's I think this is a real transitional record for him in a Absolutely. good way for for them. Sorry. Absolutely, I think it's um it's it's a really impressive sort of setup for what this decade could look like musically, and I'd love to see Sam you know channel some of those you know George Michael sounds you know really experimenting with the with the different sounds. There's George Michael used sitar in things. George Michael used you know all sorts of strange you know um, synth patterns and you yeah. know you think about the the beat of faith and then you think about the beat of freedom and of um of too funky like there's so much propensity for sam to have fun this decade and i hope and then that... you can do ballads as well like careless mm. like you can you can do both of them and i don't think sam is there just yet mm. i think they're still explore like obviously it's been quite a revolutionary year for them and yep. i think Sam's still exploring the limits, but I think it's going to be that the next album could potentially be very good. And I know that and, um, my friend Jono, who listens to this podcast and often chimes in <laughs> about things that we say, he's going to hate this because he loved Sam Smith's ballad, ballad albums, loved them, hated How Do You Sleep. I can't get enough of How Do really? You Sleep. Very lukewarm on this album, so I know that he's going to be... <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna be churning hearing this. I, I, I look. There's so much to love about some of those ballads as well, though. Like, there's some really beautiful songs and really magic yeah. moments. What I'd love to see Sam do, I think, producers like SG Lewis could be perfect paired with oh, Sam. Oh yeah, I would love that. Just yeah. back to that UK garage, warm sounds. Yeah, there's so much propensity mm-hmm. to have a lot of fun in the next couple of years, and I am without a doubt assured that Sam will do that um, yeah. because that's just what Sam gravitates towards naturally. And it, it may have not worked as well commercially the first time, but as we have kind of deduced on a lot of these episodes, you've got to have that, you know, if you're making such a gear shift sonically, you've got to allow a couple of albums to catch the, for the commercial success to catch yeah. up. And this isn't a total disaster either. There's a lot of, there's quite a few big singles on this album that came mm. out before it was released. And then if Diamonds does well, as also, it's it's a pretty good campaign. It's not a disaster. It's certainly not Absolutely. on the levels of the last two albums from Sam, but it's definitely not a Katy Perry smile that's like career dead in the water kind of thing. Well, really, I can only remember Two Good at Goodbyes having a radio moment last album. So. And I, yeah, I don't I, think there was anything else. No, I think it was just that first single and then everything else kind of fell to the wayside. And I don't even think Too Good at Goodbyes has, did as well as Diamonds is now doing. Like, Diamonds is a radio smash. So, yeah, yeah. it's going to be an interesting couple of years. I'd just like to say that I'm really proud that the, the album we've spent the most time on in this episode has been Love Goes by Sam Smith. <laughs> Which of everything on the list probably got the least attention, but so we've given us. we've given Sam the attention they deserve. Absolutely, no, great this album. is better than a number one. Ten minutes on flop stars is invaluable. Hundred <laughs> percent. Moving on to an album that has definitely had more than enough time in the sun is Ariana Grande's Positions, which, um, like Tay Tay, kind of came out of nowhere. She announced the single and album all within a week and then it was it was with us like 10 days later so Mm. um and people people are divided about this album still i think where do you sit on it i'm interested to know yeah it's interesting i i always find a bit of ariana fatigue to be totally honest with you i feel like she's not ever had enough time away for me to get excited about new ariana but it's always yeah. good. I think there's an element of consistency with Ari. There's all, it's always good. It's always going to yeah. be at a certain level. Um, this album, when it came out, it was one of those albums that I couldn't really be bothered listening to in its first couple of days. But I got around yeah. to it and I really, really enjoyed it. And I think like it's, it's almost like she's taken all the good bits from the last couple of albums and taken the fun parts of the last couple of albums and made her first fun record in a while. And I think it's a wildly fun record. Um, 
and there's some really you know smart wordplay. The production just feels like it couldn't work for any other artist. It feels tailor made to the way that Ariana sings and the way that Ariana vocalizes. Um, it's yeah. it, the production is really smart and and intricate, but also simple enough for, for her voice to be the shining feature. Um, yeah. I think Positions is a genius song. It's it's so, so fucking good. good. It's so so good. Thirty four plus thirty five is still still being rinsed here as well. Um, album yeah, as I a think whole, that's going to go quite big. Yeah, I think it's still got time, doesn't it? Um, so yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I again, I, I don't think Ari needs to be releasing as as often as she is. I think this is potentially a year we could have done without an Ariana album. If she'd held this until the first quarter of this year, wouldn't have been mad. Wouldn't have been yeah, you know, upset by. I that. think that we've got to go at least on. twelve months now without any new Ariana. Agreed. Yeah, where do you where do you sit on it? You know, at the time and now. Well, you know that I'm I'm a big. Big step. Yeah. <laughs> I just love, all, like, I've, I haven't really disliked an album from her yet. And th- this one, while it's probably not my favourite, it's certainly not far down the list. And there's a few things that I really like about it that I think um, her other albums didn't do. Firstly, I love that she's just, like, having fun and she's, like, not having to think too seriously about the events that have happened surrounding her. Like, it feels like finally she's been given the freedom to make a record of the music she likes, celebrating like a good situation she's in. And I think she she deserves to have that. Um, I think also she's kind of been yearning to make an R&B record for so long. And this is the first one that really sticks in that blueprint. 100%. And also has a lot of fun with it as well. Like songs like Love Language and Motive, the production is just so colourful and so vibrant. And to me, like the vocal production on this stands out as maybe the best of the entirety of last year because her vocals sound crystal clear on every song. So and the perfect. whistle notes just pierce through. Um, so, yeah, I lo- I've played it over and over again. I love it. I think yeah. I really can't fold it. I do get why people think it was kind of like a... like almost like a disappointment when it came out because it is a slow burn record. There's no big pop song on it and there's nothing that's incredibly obvious. But I think... As time has gone on, it's only gotten better and better. And I think that's, you can see that in how well Positions is doing and continues to do. Like it's back to number two in the US this week. So it's it's like, it has longevity. And I think it's the kind of album that continues to open up as you listen to it. Great words. I think, yeah, Positions, I think there is an obvious pop moment on it. I think that is Positions. Um and I think Yeah, but still like very R and B and still like the hook doesn't like jump out to you immediately. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Fantasy by Mariah Carey. I think it mm, has that same definitely. thing where it's you know, it's sing you can sing along the whole way, but it doesn't yeah. jump out at any particular point, but it also kinda does. Like it little it just pokes its head out at the chorus. And I think Fantasy. I had to listen to it a few well. times the first time because I was like, Where is where's the hook? Did but you hear it, the crickets the first time? No, I didn't. Have you heard the crickets in the background of... No, is, is this going to ruin it for me? You because can't the, like, unhear it. breathing machine that I hear in POV, just <laughs> I cannot unhear it now. Put positions on. <laughs> it sounds on. like she's on live support. And have a listen. When the beat kicks in, straight after the... Um, straight up to the as soon as that okay. and then you hear crickets you for the rest now? yeah do it now you hear crickets for the rest of the song oh my god okay it's gonna ruin it's it it's playing dun, 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 dun. oh my god I hate you I heard it straight away <laughs> And they don't go away. And no one's got any idea why there's crickets in the song. <laughs> and they never oh leave. Oh, my God. <laughs> there was actually a lot of crickets in last episode of Flop Stars as well. So we were t- taking Fucking wait for this one. Things. They're fucking out and out. And there's been a lot of rain lately and now some sun. And they love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Although right. crickets and cicadas sound different I've got cicadas which just do one long piercing sound Crickets oh, go they're awful. Crickets are more like doo, 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 But cicadas just don't stop for like Well maybe Ariana seconds. will come and do a summer in Australia And then she'll put cicadas on the record I love that for her It's a great idea Yeah Alright we're nearly at the All end right. of the year 
Speaking of Australian summer, well, speaking of an, of an Australian, our Australian pop princess Kylie came through in November with Disco, which is her, like, 58th album or something <laughs> like that. Some, something in the ballpark. Um, <laughs> but Disco, uh, we obviously did the episode on Kylie just before Disco dropped. I don't think even at that point we could have anticipated how well Disco was going to be received. It feels like such a career revival for Kylie and the outpouring of love for her from from all around the world I think was very deserved for an album that's just a lot of fun doesn't take itself too seriously doesn't overthink things and just gives you good pop songs so so good the whole album from top to tail the perfect amount of sophistication but let your hair down kind of fun um yeah I, I love Every song on this album is fantastic. Number one in the UK, making her the first female artist with a number one in five consecutive decades, which is wild. And the fastest selling album of the year there. Nuts. Absolutely nuts. Number one in Australia as well, giving her the same five decade um, record, which is just incredible Mm. to think about that she has been going since the early 80s with Locomotion and still getting number ones. And the record itself perfect the marketing and the rollout excellent i mean say something came out in like july i'm pretty sure uh yeah july 23 yeah say something came it was out. a really long rollout and that was such a perfect song to start with because it straddled that line of disco of just disco freedom the freedom that a club provides mm-hmm. but really sophisticated you know interesting synth patterns um, yeah. And just that almost orchestral end to it, the way that the, yeah. all the harmonies stack up so beautifully, the choir, it just had such an excellent layered approach, that song, that it just became impossible not to rinse. Um, and then Magic came out and was kind of the same, but also just kind of silly um, at the same yeah, time. And that, yeah, and it set the agenda for what the album was going to be. And then when people got to unwrap that album, it turned out that that's exactly what it was. It was sophisticated dance records, but also just silly dance records like Real Groove, which I think is the best, yeah. second best song on the album to say something. Real Groove is so good. So good. And she didn't over-promote it. I think doing the um, the Infinite Disco live stream, which I, I watched um, and was blown away by the production of, it was a completely real And made experience. it onto the BBC with your watching I did with my, with my dancing and my Kylie Minogue rosé in hand, which was lovely. <laughs> Um, by the way, the Kylie Rose, worst hangovers you could possibly imagine. Really? Absolute worst hangovers. Just <laughs> don't do it. It's not worth it. But this album... Do not unpromote Kylie Wine on the podcast. Yeah, then they wouldn't send us any. Yeah, well, it sounds like you don't want any now. No, I don't want any now. I'm going un- to undo my promotion. You let me experience the hangover. Have you, have you, had, you haven't had it yet, have you? I've no, I haven't tried it. I've got to send you some. I still still have that hangover to look forward to. <laughs> yes, you do. Can't wait for Real Groove to just loop in my head as I've got a pounding headache. <laughs> or, or that, what's the Monday Monday blues? Monday, Monday Tuesday, blues. Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday. Tuesday. <laughs> God, that weekend. It's, an, it's, like an Ab, it's like an ABBA album in 2020. Yeah. It's just fucking so good. And I'll keep listening to it and I'll keep having fun with it. It's, it's great. That's a great way to think of it. Another album that I think came out at the end of November or maybe it was December. I think it was the end of November um, that I think we're both going to have good things to say about too is Miley Cyrus's Plastic Hearts, which um, kind of finally adopted the rock dog within her and I think really turned a page for Miley and it's been a really, really positive era for her so far. I've been a proponent of the fact that Miley turns a new leaf and turns a page in the way that she makes and releases music with pretty much every record. I mean, back to, Mm. you know, thinking about Malibu and the way she pivoted to that, you know, beachy aesthetic. And then, you know, every album's had its own pastiche. Yeah. You, you have thoughts on that one. If you haven't heard our Malibu (laughs) episode, that's definitely worth a dive. Um, because that's, that's got some of Sam's best thoughts of all time. Yeah. Some real real big brain moments. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Plastic Hearts feels like 
my, my apologies. I've got a little bit of uh, air in my throat. There we go. Oh, Actually, no. That's okay. Are you okay? Yeah, I've just been talking too much. That's my problem. Um, I, I think this was the album that even 10 years ago we could have foreseen Miley making in some ways. Yeah. But also, like, the fucking, like, to get Billy Idol, Joan Jett. Was it Joan Jett that she got on the album? Yeah, Joan Jett. I always I was confuse her with um, the one that's dead. Um, don't um, mind me. Joan Joan uh, Rivers. Not Joan Rivers. Not not the not popular late comedian Joan Rivers. She is um, a Joan that's dead though. She's a, jo- a Joan that's dead. Um, I, I can't remember who's dead. Um, <laughs> the, I I think she was always going to do this like glam rock album because she grew up on that shit. She grew up on on these glam rock records and she was always going to do something like that. I think she just like she was always going to yeah. do something like country and rootsy. Um, on her dad's yeah. side, her mum, Tish, brought her up on on glam rock, essentially. Glam rock and drag queens. Um, wow. And she credits that with her love for drag and her love of the gays. And I think, you know, this album was inevitable, but I just think the way that it was actually rolled out and the authenticity with which she took the, um, you know, th- that she took to making this album um, was not, something we could have foreseen just how good she would have done it and the fact that she got to end up collaborating with her idol turned friend turned now collaborator stevie nicks and make you know midnight sky and it's edge of midnight remix yeah. and just just some genius strokes there that i think you know and when we talk you know obviously the fans loved it and i think even if you weren't particularly a miley fan from a sonic perspective i think everyone's really been won over now um yeah. but i think critically the critical acclaim for this album and the critical acclaim for where miley's at in her career now has been nothing short of, of amazing and i i think she's one of the most likable pop stars on the planet um and i just love seeing her thrive in in the yeah. pop ecosystem i think she's fucking amazing yeah, I get why she's been divisive, but I'm the same as you. She's I've always found her very likable. Um, last year, I saw her play at Primavera Festival and she just released that EP that kind of did nothing. And um, it was a very rocked up set. Like she was all in her leather and there was like huge amps all over the stage. And she gave us a very rocked up version of We Can't Stop, which was horrendous. And <laughs> she she played the whole EP in full, which was not a rock EP, but you would have thought so by the way she played it. And it just felt yes. so forced. And I was like, this is just awful. Now it makes sense. It, at the time, it felt like she was forcing it. Now she's actually got the music to play one of those sets. I'm like, now I get it. Like her voice, she sounds in her element in this kind of genre. And she can she can afford to be a little bit bratty and a bit over the top and camp and like vulnerable and all of it just comes out in it. It was such a perfect sound That's for That's awesome. And I think had people not connected to Midnight Sky as much as they did, I don't think this album would exist. I think it gave yep. her the guts to finally release it and get it done. Yeah. And one of the, yeah, one of the biggest surprises for me this year was that album. So good. Oh, so brilliant. And Midnight Sky is just the, the fucking song. Like it's yeah. so good. I was born to yeah. run. I don't belong to anyone. Who fucking, who says that in the chorus now? Ah, so good. So good. One more so month good. left of 2020 wrapped in 2021. Yeah. We've done it. We've nearly done it under an hour. Not quite, but we've nearly done it. Pretty impressive, um, actually. So the final one, when we thought we were all done, everyone had wrapped up. They put on their out of office for the year. The best of lists were out. And then Taylor came tapping because she, doesn't, <laughs> she yeah. doesn't have to abide by everyone's schedules and decided because... She was turning 31 on the 13th of December. She would release an album to celebrate that because we all <laughs> need to celebrate the flipped version of our Honestly. birthdays. Uh, so she came through with Evermore, the second al- the sister album to Folklore, which was with the same list of collaborators, but she'd kind of doubled down. There was less Jack Antonoff. There was more Bon Iver. And also the rest of the National had got involved as well. And Haim joined her on a, a wild um, murder mystery <laughs> song, <laughs> which kind of went back to her country roots. So she just went further into the folklore world. 
And I was worried that I was going to be like, what am I going to think about having like 35 of these Taylor Swift folk songs? But I think Evermore, now I've sat with it, kind of is even more successful and feels even more authentic Mm. than the first one did. Yeah, it almost feels like Folklore was the warm-up for the inevitable. Mm. And, you know, we talk about sister albums. This feels like the big sister. This feels like the smart sister. Um, Yeah. Yeah, a great album. I just question whether, I don't know. I, I find myself, just like Ari, I find myself a bit Taylor exhausted, even though Taylor yeah. is very aware of her own sort of, you know, over, um, what's the word? We use it all the time. Overexposure. Exposure. Um, yeah. She's very self-aware of that. I think, yeah, I just, I just couldn't be bothered. To be totally honest with you, I couldn't be fucked with this album. I couldn't yeah, be bothered. Yeah, I get but, that. And I think it's context. I think it's really contextual as well. I think it's perfect for the colder months of the year. I think you know it's a great Northern Hemisphere album. Um, yeah, obviously. it felt so good at this time of the year. A hundred percent. And particularly like a song like "Tis the Damn Season." Yeah. Like just yeah. when you're walking the streets that have like all the Christmas tree like stalls set up and it's cold and it, like absolutely it was perfect. It it definitely suited that climate so well. It didn't well. necessarily suit the and I think also it suits the locked down sort of like you know yeah. halt halt of society. Whereas I think listening as an Australian and this came out you know in a week where we were getting forty degrees Celsius, hundred and ten degree Fahrenheit <laughs> days and life was kind of back to normal for a couple of weeks because we'd eliminated COVID or so we thought. And, you know, life was back to that fast-paced, normal summer feeling when, yeah. like, that wasn't the case, unfortunately. Willow's not exactly getting rinsed at the Ivy Pool Club, is it? It's not. However, it is getting rinsed on Australian radio because they did a slight remix of it. Um, it's just like a slightly faster. Oh, yeah, she did like seven remixes of it. Fa- out of control. So that's when an absolute radio yeah. smash over summer here. Okay. That slight remix of Willow. Um, but yeah, I I just think <clears throat> I think as an Australian fan, um, it missed the mark for me. But also as an Australian passive fan of Taylor, Aust- Australian fans of Taylor fucking frothing this album and are obsessed with it and rightfully so. Yeah, it's, it's again brilliant. Yeah, I think all. Hardcore fans are. And once again, the critics went nuts for it. Like, it was a real double or nothing for her, I felt like. Like, yeah. she could completely ruin all the good she did with Folklore by releasing a trash sister album. But I think it doubled down on it and ended up being a good move for her. And yeah. obviously, she's broken a shitload of records and made a lot more money. And people are buying her horrendous merch once again. Oh. So good for her. <laughs> so bad there is one album that we haven't um, mentioned that was one of my favorites of the year mm-hmm. and that is um megan train as a very trainer Christmas. <laughs> 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 i couldn't even get to the end of it with a straight face i'm a celebrity get me out of here <laughs> <laughs> megan would be very good on i'm a celebrity actually oh my god yeah no you're actually right <laughs> She definitely, definitely would. Um, you know, obviously I can't see I'm a Celebrity Australia from here, but um, I don't need to because <gasps> I've got your Twitter stream. It's iconic. If you're not watching I'm a Celebrity Australia this year, it's the <laughs> best show on the damn television. Um, but look, 2020 has been an interesting year, hasn't it? To say the least, in 2021 is already shaping up to be incredible. But I've loved yeah. doing this podcast with you and sharing... You know, the albums that still pop up from time to time in conversation and the albums that have lasted the test of time or some that haven't that you need to remember, like Root Box. Exactly. And um, unfortunately, this is your your last episode of the podcast because I'm replacing you with Mike Pence, <laughs> who is now a, a very democratic pop fan. <laughs> <laughs> you can't <laughs> I keep checking his Twitter to see if it's a fro- Like someone's hacked it But it's real It's real. absolutely wild What it's a insane. wild day we're having But oh, um, no you will be back on the podcast If you would like to come back I'd love to be back Are we calling this the end of season 2 And season 3 This is will... the end of season Yeah. Wow so, so we'll be three. back with season three. We're just going to roll on. We're not going to take it. We've taken no. a big enough break in between the wrapped <laughs> the parts wrapped one and two. So. So. 
Um, if you like the podcast, the nicest thing you can do to give us a hand is um, is share it with a friend. Tell a friend who loves pop music. We'd really genuinely appreciate that. Um, the Apple podcast reviews are always really helpful as well, so we appreciate those. And thank you to um, the very, very kind individual who posted it in the Popheads uh, Reddit thread. Um, that was yes, yeah, Thomas. Kind. I was just I was just looking for the message. Yeah, Thomas posted it in um, pop heads and sent a very nice message. So shout out to Thomas. Thank you, Thomas. We appreciate that. And we appreciate everyone who sends kind words about the podcast. It genuinely means a lot and it um, helps us get back at it for another week. Um, it does. Yeah. I'm excited for this year. We've got some um, big records in store as always. Oh, and we'll be some, back with season three. There's, I, th- I think now that we've kind of... St- loosened the shackles on flop, on what makes a flop star record there's a lot of great fun to be had in season three so we can't wait to have you here there is all right see you nick and see you everybody bye team that was such an official goodbye <laughs> sounded like i was signing off am radio <laughs> 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 <laughs>